it's your tone, it's your body language, and so on. I remember years ago, I was refereeing at West Liberty, and a coach charged me. And it wasn't West Liberty. It was um, another Notre Dame out of Ohio. Coach charged me. And I, I called the technical foul on him. And um, he said, I want out of the coaching box. I go, you're absolutely right. At halftime, he goes, I, I wasn't out of the coaching box. I said, you're absolutely right, coach. He said, um, I didn't curse that. You get, hey, you're two for two. He said, well, why did you get a technical foul? I said, let me ask you something. Would you charge anybody on the street? He goes, you're absolutely right. He goes, I would never do that. And I said, okay, that's why you got a technical foul. You are listening to the Crown Rest Podcast, the audio experience for basketball officials. Serve the game. Crown Rush Podcast, episode 66. We welcome back NBA scout Al Batista. Al came by to talk about sequencing and guidelines and gave a lot of great information. He categorized a bunch of different play types ranging from rebounds, flops, clamps, defense, where your eyes should be, discipline, push-offs by the offense. And our first category is the shooter's pack. Al, what do you got? First one is when someone goes up for a, sh- a jump shot, you go up, take your eyes and go up, down. So you let the let the shooter and the defender go up, let them come back down, and then once that is clear, then go to your rebound. So it's up, down, and rebound. Okay, um, and then there's some little the little things that you should do when you protect. Uh, shooters and um, when you're protecting a shooter like we were we were just doing some of these drills in the gym is like you know where will the defender usually foul so aim small you know Mark Wonderlich says aim small miss small what he says when he means by that when you're aiming when you're looking at the play usually look at you know the wrist on down the wrist on down the elbow and things like that because that's where usually players get hit and if it's above the wrist on the top of the hand, it's usually good. The second thing is, um, and Joey Crawford always says that, always says is if the, if the defender jumps first, they usually foul just the guideline. If they That's jump cool. second, they usually contest. And that is so true um, if you think about it. Because um, if you jump first, as a defender, you usually commit yourself in your, you know, you usually you usually foul, but if you jump second, um, you usually contest. I heard someone the other day doing a um, a clinic on how to block shots, and they actually said the same thing. I go, wow, you know, uh, which is really neat. The third thing is on shots is especially three point shots. Usually, when a three point shooter is open. This is another one of Mark's, Mark Wonderlitz, is go screen, because you usually a three-point shooter needs a screen to get open. So find your screen, okay, legal. Then find your line. Are they um, on the line or beyond it? And then go to the defender. I'm going to add one more thing to this. When you, when you go screen, line, go to the waist of the defender. 
because the waist, when you, if you can find the defender's waist, it will dictate what their hands will do. Why do you say that? Because if you think about it, my waist, my in other words, I start my hands, I got to use my waist. If you, if you just go, if you just move your hands, your waist actually moves. So if I can go to your waist, bang, then I can get your hands. Okay. It's just a sequence. It's just taking you to a higher level and just saying, okay, I'm just going to get to the play. I'm saying let's even take it even further. Let's go to the defender's waist. Sometimes you can go to their eyes, and their eyes will dictate what their hands are going to do. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's really and – and I learned this on tape. I go, wow, look at that, look at that, look at this, look at that. Um, the next thing about this is something Ed Rush used to talk about is um, – that's another very interesting concept about this, and he got it from Bob Delaney. By the way, none of this stuff is mine. Um, this is stuff that I heard in clinics over the years and, you know, from the NBA. And it's called the lifting principle. It's back to this aim small, miss small. From the wrist on down, it's usually a foul. Above the wrist, the top of the hand, usually it's contested, whether it's a good block or it's hand to hand. You know what I mean? Hand, you know, it's not a foul. You know? Let me just so on. if you could just go deeper into that. At what points would there be illegal contact if it's hand to hand? I mean, I know. In other words, I'm trying to to block the shot and I accidentally hit your hand. You know, you know that's nothing. Are there any hand to hand type contact that is illegal? Well, if I, you know, if I, I don't like to use the word intentionally, but if I purposely hit your hand. You know, to affect your shot, I would say yes. You know, but if I'm trying to contest, I mean, there's some intent involved, and we and I get on top, it's nothing. Maybe a big wind up. Maybe, yep, yep, yeah. We could you could go that there because if you went with a big wind up, think about it, you would actually come down. And you might get the hand, but you would actually probably hit the wrist as well. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, this is all good stuff. This is stuff that, you know, um, that, you know, I have this little basketball academy in Board 12, and that's what we were talking about today. You know, th- th- here are some of the things like what we're, we're doing, what I'm doing with our younger officials, um, we, we just went had a walkthrough. They did some CYO games, and then we did a walkthrough, like a team would walk through stuff. We did that, you know, and um, just stuff to think about and, to, you know, train for and, and to sequence your eyes like, hey, where, where do I really need to look when I'm on the floor? All right, so I just want to recap our uh, shooter's pack. I'm just going to read what you sent me. A player in a triple threat position, find the feet of the offender. and yeah, then when, the- so- when someone's in a triple threat, you know, you're, you say you don't want to miss these face-up travels or split travels. So, so you know, go, go – once they get in that triple threat, go 80 80- – Go 80-20, but this time reverse it, or 70-30. You're going to go 70% offense, 30% defense. In this scenario, only in this scenario, I must say, and you go feet, 
pivot and then go to the waist of the defender. I'm going to take it even further and go find their waist. On early offense, reverse it. Because early offense is going to be probably a quick three. Go 70-30 or 80-20 and reverse it. 70% defense or 80% defense. And go defender's waist, feet pivot. And someone was saying, well, I'll miss travels. I said, you won't. You won't anticipate travels because you won't get faked out by um, shoulder movement. Hmm. But for years, we were told to do stuff. But, but thanks to Joey and Mark and Ben, we were never taught how to sequence stuff. God, God boy, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I, you know, I mean, I wish I knew this when I was – you know, really refereeing competitively because, you know, it would really have helped me. Basically, you know, when I was out there, I didn't know any of this. I was just like throwing darts. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Al, can I just ask you to share um, when you were refereeing competitively, if you could just tell us a little story on that, your bio? Well, basically, I got in the MEAC when I was 22 years of age. I worked in that league for 26 years. I worked in the Big South for 10 years. I mainly worked, um, I worked a lot of Division II basketball, and uh, mainly in the West Virginia Conference, which is a very tough league, the PSAC, um, East Coast Conference, mainly at UDC, Carolinas, because it was part of, if you want to say, the Big South Consortium. Um, but those four Division Twos and then a ton of Division Threes, um, basically from Virginia all the way up to Pennsylvania, you know, the Capitol, the Centennial, uh, the ODAC, uh, the Allegheny Mountain, the Max. You know, I used to average uh, between junior college and Division One, uh, 60 to 65, 70 games a year. Oh, wow. I didn't realize you had such a long impressive uh refereeing career yeah i mean you know i worked you know i never i i worked the, our west virginia conference um from 1990 until i retired from that league until 2015 i worked it from 90 to 2015 um i think i worked i don't remember now maybe 10 straight semifinals, two finals I worked uh, the NCAA Division Three tournament and Division One. To be honest with you, Division One, uh, I was a journeyman Division One referee. Basically, that basically uh, worked on Saturdays. Um, you know, um, I think late when I got involved with the NBA as a refer, um, as an observer, that's where my officiating IQ and officiating really became good because I was breaking down a lot of tape. I was watching the best referees in the world, and it just carried over into my officiating. And I also heard great clinics. And at that time, you know, my goal was I could care less about tournaments, materialistic goals, because I was at a certain age. I said, well, you know, I'm not probably, but my goals were, hey, let me see any game I did. And a very dear friend, Mike Preston, Let's see if we can beat the tape. He goes, what do you want to do? And I said, uh, let's see if we can go 92%. Let's see, you know, last five minutes we can go 100%. So that was our that was our thing. You know, did you beat the tape tonight? Did you beat the tape tonight? You know, and and I didn't really start worrying about, oh, I didn't get this tournament. No, I said, you know, I really had a good season because looking at my scores, you know, I beat the tape. 
and I was watching a lot of tape. I beat the tape the majority of the games I had, you know, and whatever. And and that's where I think my fish eating really took off. And that's why I always tell, you know, prospects, I said, are you a student of the game or are you just chasing games? And they go, what do you mean? Well, if you're a student of the game, you're really into this crap. I don't care what game it is, but do you really know what's going on here? And they'll say, well, yeah, but it's not Division One." I. I said, but do you know the nuances of Division Two II and Three basketball? And they go, well, no. And I go, well, Division Two basketball nowadays, they don't really go after high school players. And they go after, you know, junior college. And because and, that's the way the game's played in Division Three. The gentleman that coached there and the ladies are some of the best basketball minds in the country because a lot of the young people they are getting, they have to develop them. So you're going to have to learn how to referee that. And as Monty McCutcheon always said, and, and, and I picked up on this, God, all those years I was discerning. And um, and the referee at lower levels of basketball, you got to be a really good discerner. And if you can do that at an early age, man, you have the potential to work in the NBA. I'm not saying you're going to work in the NBA, but you have that potential. You know what I mean by discerning? Knowing how to make decisions that are good for the game. That makes great sense, Al. The more I talk to you, the more impressed I am with you. And um, thanks for sharing that personal side to your officiating. It definitely, you know, it adds context to your teaching. And um, I appreciate that, you know, and it's great to get to the meat and potatoes of the content, obviously, but to be able to share each referee's story and their journey, there's a lot for our listeners to pick up on. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, um, too, Paul, maybe we won't get, but, you know, I, you know, I really like every official this year. I don't care what game it is. The things that they could really do this year is every game, whether it's CYO, whatever it is, always show effort and urgency. Number one, keep a journal of maybe three things you did well, three things you need to work on. If you have tape of that game, clip three plays from that game. Um, Come up with a rules quiz for each game. If you challenge yourself, to do that, you'll become a better referee. I don't care what level it is. You don't know where it can take you. And the other thing, too, I like to see officials do. Officials nowadays have to start standing up for themselves. And what I mean by that is they got to start enforcing unsporting conduct. There's too much unsporting conduct, I think, in amateur basketball at all levels. And there's disrespect to referees and um, our commissioner and board 12 always tells coaches I think it's a great message um, Doug Bushman always says he always tells coaches would you would you talk to someone uh, the way you're talking to them at your regular workplace and they go well of course not well, why are you addressing them here like that on a basketball court and and they go, well, I'm really not saying, yeah, well, it's the tone you're doing it, and it, and it is disrespectful. And officials, I think, for too long have put up with too much disrespect. And our job is – and we need to go out and, and um, uh, <clears throat> command respect. 
because we give respect to coaches, players, administrators, and whatever, and we need it in back. And when someone does something wrong, they need to be penalized, whether it's a warning or it's a technical foul or saying, no, no, that's not acceptable. I'm sorry. Even to the extent that, you know, you might lose an assignment, it's still not acceptable. And until you, if you don't stand up for yourself and we don't stand up for ourselves, um, I'm not saying going crazy. Hey, what did you say? Technical foul, technical. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying when there's disrespect, something has to be done. It has to be addressed. Heat of the moment is a little bit different. Heat of the moment is like, come on, Paul, that's travel. Come on, Paul. Paul, come on. We're, we're not getting the call at the same, you know, but that's different. But constant badgering, disrespect, throwing your hands, waving your hands, these are all actually, if you think about it, they're intimidating gestures. Um, if you think about it, and coaches have been – I'm sorry, coaches, but they've gotten they, – they, they think it's an acceptable thing. But if you think about it, if you were walking down the street and someone started pointing at you or started waving at you, it's not acceptable. If you've paid attention to the most recent podcast, um, we've been really focusing on this sportsmanship theme, and I've been trying to hammer it home and use Crown Refs as a platform yeah. to address Yeah, and I, think, and I think what you do, Paul, is super, and I think – you know, officials do, like I was telling officials do work hard and they do care, you know, in, in, but night in and night out, whether they have a good game or a bad game, they got to get right back out there and show that effort and urgency and keep the journals and do what's right for the game because I hate to say it, the where basketball is now, the officiating community, we're the last guardians of the game. We're the last guardians of the game. Think about it, you know. Um, and we work at this craft, and we care about this craft. And the other thing I want to see officials start doing, pick each other up, you know, support one another, you know, tell everybody, hey, here, not so much what they're doing wrong, but, you know, um, what they're doing well. Hey, I like that. You're doing that well. Pick Everyone pick each other up. I remember, I remember it's a corny movie, but it's a fun movie, Major League Three, and the manager said, hey, see if you can help the other guy. You know, can you really help the other guy? You mind if I share a little story? Absolutely, Al. I'd love it. Um, uh, because I'm so really thrilled with the rules and this and that, I come across sometimes um, arrogant and it's a pass more of a passion and arrogance um, but my dad on his deathbed said listen you know you mean well you know I love what you do he said but this is what I want you to do this is before, I'm not kidding you Paul before he said I want you to go out and help referees every single day can you help someone every single day and I think all of us I said you know he's right I <laughs> I'm, I'm arrogant at sometimes, and from that day on, I try to try to help someone every single day, whether they're refereeing the CYO game or they're refereeing a G League game. I try to help someone every single day, and it might sound, um, I don't know what the word is, yeah, right, but seriously, 
And I think we all have to do that because we're under so much scrutiny right now. And this is why I think a lot of young people are, hey, I don't really need this. I'm getting out of this. Your mission is clear, and obviously that was a big message that your dad gave you, and you're carrying it out, so I'm sure you're making him really proud. And that's another thing, Paul. Someone says, as a scout, what do you look for in a official? I said, first thing I'll look at is character. Does he or she have character? And they go, you're kidding me. I said, no, because if you have character, you usually have courage. You think about it. You're usually teachable. You're usually coachable. You usually have a passion. And and you're usually a self-motivator. And even if you don't make it to the NBA, you're going to make it somewhere if you have character. You know? And they go, that's you're just saying. I go, no. I said, if someone doesn't have character... It's to me, it's a red flag. Do I? Eh, I don't know. You know, I don't know. You know, and or or maybe I can get that across to him or her and teach them about character. Because if I if I was a supervisor, not that I want to be one, but if I was a supervisor, or you know, I would want individuals of character because I can teach the rest and I can motivate the rest. And I can get them into spots where they'll succeed. But if they don't have character, it's going to be kind of hard. The next category is block shots and passes that are contested. Al talks about the concept of ball plus body is usually a no call and body plus ball equals usually a foul. We also go into rebounds here and possession consequence and having a patient whistle on those and also having an immediate whistle for cleanups. Well, usually not always the case, but if you think about it, not all the time, but if you go ball plus body usually equals no call, but body plus Ball usually equals foul. Not all the time, but it's a good way to judge things. And with that, with those two things, is when plays are coming to you in the lead, okay, pick up the secondary defender as quick as possible. Um, Because today there's a lot of help defense, and if you don't pick up that secondary defender as quick as possible, right, you're going to – the play's going to explode on you. I learned this from Mark Wunderlich, um, just a great teacher. The next thing is when plays are coming at you in the lead, keep your weight on your back foot. This is an Ed Rush principle. If you saw Joey Crawford refereeing back in the day, it looks like he was sitting in a chair because he was so patient. And it was like, play, here it comes foul and then whistle or play block shot out of bounds and then whistle or play travel and then whistle it wasn't it's like like if you hear my clap it's just like that so he did he did a you know joey was you know great in sequencing plays like that and and then another one i can remember observing games name was joe forte it's the same way um you know, just great officiating, but they had that sequence and they were patient. 
Also, too, to help you with plays, too, since we're on this, I know I'm going a little bit off here, but when you go from trill to lead, what you want to do is pick up the last defender or the defender that can hurt you the most. Constantly do that. Constantly do that. And the reason why today, today some officials go, well, I do that. I go, no, you don't. Every time I watch you referee, you're looking at the ground. And and yesterday we were doing a thing, and 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 Scott Bowling goes, Al, but you know if you look over your shoulder, you naturally. Do. And I learned that from Scott. I go, yeah, you're right. If you look over your shoulder, you naturally do that. So, but the second pieces of it is, you know, pick up the last defender, the defender that can hurt you the most, because the offender is really not going to hurt you, but the defense will. And 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 um, analytically, you have more fouls on the defense than the offense. So it will help you with a block charge. It will help you with RA plays um, for NCAA, you know, the whole gambit. So just to provide clarity on the ball plus body is usually a no call. Let's talk yeah. about contact where it is going to be a legal contact. Would you say hits to the head? Um, yeah, hits to the head or just smashing through somebody. Clean up that. You know, or yeah, are really bad. Just really, you know, you know, it, it's um, you know, um, and it also too has to deal with level of play. You know, like um, I showed a clip. Um, I mean, we, we were showing a clip, and um, great younger referee in Marceline Williams. She's in the G League. She goes, she was saying we were looking at a clip. I said, you see that play right there? And she goes, yeah. I said, you're right. For that game, that's a foul. No, no, and then she looks. She said, "But Al, it's, look at the NBA game." I said, "Yeah, but that's a different level. It's not a foul there, and it's just a different level. Not to say one game's different than another, but a lot of time it has to do with um. I don't like to use the word strength or talent. It has nothing to do with that, but just uh, maturity. And 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 as you move up, does that make sense, Paul? As you you know, and, yeah, and so and it's just a different level. You probably have to be careful of doing that in a um, a small school, high school league. But you you could in some cases, but in on a really top you know level high school basketball, you probably could referee that way. And Hank Nichols used to say years ago, every game is like playing cards. You got to see what you have out there, and then that's the, that's the beauty of doing this. I know I'm doing a lot of name dropping, but I'm as we're talking, I'm just remembering of um, people that I listened to and that influenced me and that helped me. That I'm just remembering the things that they said. Not trying to impress anybody, but just these these were just great. As looking back, nuggets of information. I, I um, love the name. I love the name dropping because it means now they have to listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. It, it groups everybody in together, and you know these are actual people who influence you, so it's okay to share. So I just want to also clarify on body plus ball equals a foul. Talk to me about when it's not. You're not saying to call it on incidental contact and then no. No, incidental more, no, it's not. Usually, it usually happens when the defender displaces the offender and the, and the shooter goes from A to B, or, it's just, or, or the defender steps through the shooter, or, or um, like you said, hits to the face, hits to the head, you know, um, 
Um, uh, I remember years ago, and I hate to name drop, but I'll learn this from him. He's sitting with me. He was a great man named Blaine Riker, refereed in the NBA for years. I'm sitting with him in a big South camp, and he said, anytime a shooter's in a vulnerable position and they go A to B, he said, that's a foul. I go, wow. I said, that's great. He said, yeah, vulnerable position A to B. He said, Ed Rush taught me that. And, you know, I go, and, and, um, um, you know, just observing with him and just listening to him. Um, and that's another one. If a shooter's in a vulnerable position and they go from A to B or they, they go from right to left, he would always say they probably got fouled. And I go, man, that, that, that's neat. That's, you're right. You're right. He said they're like, they're like a bobblehead doll, you know, and, you know, and, I said, yeah, and you see it. This is an interesting um, piece here, talking about the rebounds, possession, consequence, patient whistle, cleanup. Elaborate on that. Okay, rebounds, uh, possession, consequence is I get rebound. You bump me a little bit. I don't lose ball. We play on. I get rebound. You bump me out of bounds or I lose ball or I travel. We have foul. Cleanup is an immediate whistle like I get ball and you hit me on the arm or or you hit me. You know, I mean, you, you know, it's a hit. Or you need me or you put, you know, you you push me down. You know, that those are cleanups. Too much contact for that game in that moment, right? Exactly. Those are immediate whistles. Um, I like how you have a category of an immediate whistle because we don't really focus on that. We focus on having an impatient whistle, but there yeah. are certain amount of plays that do need that immediate whistle. Yeah, immediate whistles are usually in the perimeter, you know, hand checking, um, hand checking, you know, traveling, palming, illegal screens, freedom, freedom of movement, plays bumping cutters. You know, those are usually immediate whistles. Immediate whistles usually happen on the perimeter. In fact, we were talking about this the other day. I said, well, what's a hand check? What's a hand check? And our old interpreter in Board 12, Michael Statham, we used to say, think of STIR, S-T-I-R. And I go, what's STIR? And he goes, think about it, Al. S, state hand. T, two hand. I, impede. R, reroute. So, wow, I like that. I always give Michael credit for that because – um, another very good basketball mind, um, you know, and he came up with the stir principle. You know, it's um, another principle I'm thinking about that um, um, uh, Ronnie Nunn, I think, might have come up with it. Um, um, another great teacher, he would say, on a, on a breakaway or how can you judge a flagrant one or a flagrant two in the high school game? How can you judge an intentional in a flagrant? Is wind up impact follow through. If you can answer two out, out of three, you probably it's got to, in the high school game probably be intentional or flagrant. In the NCAA men's flagrant one or flagrant two, in the NCAA women's intentional or disqualifying. NBA flagrant one or flagrant two. So, you know, I, I like to do that not to show off, Paul, but my one of my hobbies is I get into all the rule books. Um. So, um, and I just love just dissecting all types of rule books. Talk to me about 
lines and the path of least resistance? Well, you know, you have a play and it could be possession consequence and maybe sometimes not putting a foul on that player out of bounds. You know, it's very close between a foul and an out of bounds where, you know, that rebounding team is going to get the ball. This, this is really – this takes experience and patience. Boom, you're just giving the ball back to that rebounding team. You, you know what I'm saying? It could be, yeah, I'm not sure if it's a foul, but boom, it's out of bounds on them. I'm just going to give them back to them. Usually you learn that. Um, I'm not forestalling the foul now. I'm just saying I'm not sure, but the ball's going out, and we're going to go the other way, or we're staying here, you know, and I'm not sure. So here, hey, you're getting the ball back anyway, you know, and so on. And and with that one, my opinion, I got to you got to see what type of game you have. Back to the Hank Nichols, you know, what do you have out there? It's like playing cards, because Louis Grillo always used to say one of my mentors coming up in board twelve and, and my supervisor in the MEAC, he always used to say every game has its own personality, and you have to learn that maybe a couple times up and down the court. And that stuck with me for the rest of my life when he said that. Um, you know, and and that's also about another board 12 referee and another one of my supervisors, Joe Forte, would always say, do you know your product? Do you know your pro- product? And I would go, what do you mean? Okay, do you know your product? Do you know what you're doing out here? You know, do you know your penalties? Do you know, you know, do you know, you know, this, that, you know, whatever? Well, no, you, you have to learn your product. And he used to relate it to being a salesman is, um, you know, would I really buy something from you if you didn't know your product? Well, of course not. Taking ownership and almost a business-like approach. Yeah. In this next segment, we talk about push-offs by the dribbler. Al lists some of his guidelines here. He says when the elbow breaks the wrist and makes contact, it's a foul on the dribbler. When there's a push-off and the defender loses balance and cannot recover, it's a foul on the dribbler. I'm glad we're talking about these plays because I think they're very difficult. You know, we're always quick to mention, like, block charge plays or basket interference as being the most difficult plays. For me, offensive foul slash no-call plays I find the most difficult, right? Was it enough contact to have a whistle? We all saw the little push-off. And we have to determine if it was a legal contact, right? Did the defender get displaced? Was the arm fully extended? Did he drop the shoulder enough? So Al's going to deep dive here and elaborate on these play types. One thing I wanted to ask you, this is another great category, push-offs by the dribbler. One thing I didn't understand, what is elbow breaks wrist and makes contact? So if, if you think about it, if my elbow... If I take my elbow and my elbow starts extending and my wrist, my wrist is like straight, like I, I, I broke my wrist, you know what I'm saying? Like I don't stop. I go all the way and extend it, you know, like I'm, I'm throwing almost like a, I don't know, almost like an elbow, but I'm not. I'm usually, I'm hitting you with my wrist. So it's straight know, push. up. It's straight yeah, up. Yeah. 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 Okay. And, and because of, if I just, push you and you don't lose balance good luck try staying consistent on that so the way i look at it another ed rush principle if my elbow breaks my wrist and i picked this up from monty mccutcheon this um 
this um, fall, and he goes, and secondly, if the defender loses their balance and they can't recover, you have to have, in the NBA game, an offensive foul, in the amateur game, a player control foul, in the NCAA women's game, an offensive foul, you know, and so on. But you have to have a foul against a dribbler. That's great because I was I was working on a similar topic today where I said um, sometimes plays have elements of a foul but mm-hmm. never evolve or mature into something illegal. So, you know, the fact that we're looking for that extension and the um, elbow breaking the wrist, that's just a good line, good guideline for us. And then if a coach asks you, you said, well, what did he do? I said, his elbow broke his wrist. And most coaches go, oh, I understand what you're saying. Or if they do I said, hey, his elbow never broke his wrist. And someone who has a good bass, I understand what you're saying. I, I get it. I get it. You know. Well, Al, I think one of the harder calls is offensive foul or not. So charge or no call. Push off or no call. Right. I find the, the, a lot, you know, some difficulty in those plays. They they are difficult. Um, um but you know, but the thing is, if you really, if you go on a lot of these drives to the basket, and and Eric Lewis taught this in a in a one on one clinic with Patrick O'Connell that I was lucky to be there because I learned it, and he said, hey, are you refereeing 70-30, defense and thirty percent offense? You know, and the other day Scott Bolnick he goes, you use seventy thirty, but I use eighty twenty. I go, wow, I like that too. And he goes, yeah. And and there's a teaching part of it to do today. I was telling somebody, uh, um, I was telling some G League officials last night. I said, when you go watch tape, um, they said 70-30 or 80-20. I said, no, 100% defense. And they go, why? I said, it will really make your eyes fast. Hmm. Don't even look at the offense. And I said, it's it's tough. It will really discipline you. Because you always, you always have that crutch. You always want to look at the ball. But I said, when you're watching tape, um, go 100% defense. And I learned that from, to be honest with you, a young um, G League official named Paul Tumea from your area, Paul. Um, and he said, hey, when you were talking about 70-30, I, he said, I couldn't do it. So I went and did CYO games and went 85-15. Then I started going 100% defense because he said I could get away with it out here. So I said, on tape, you know, just go 100% defense, see what happens. Shout out to Paul Toomey. Hello, Paul. Yeah. Friend of the Yeah. Team. And Patrick O'Connell. Two, two, two great young men. Crown Refs Podcast is brought to you by Knee Tucks, the best way to keep your shirt or uniform tucked. If you're looking for that clean, professional look on the court, there's only one way to do it. Log on to NeatTucks.com and order yours today. Neat Tucks and Crown Refs, serving the game. Now, clamps are tricky plays because it usually involves a player who's trying to deceive us into calling a foul for him. So in this segment, I ask Al, what should we be looking for when officiating clamp plays? Clamps have really come into basketball, and I remember observing in the NBA, I never saw a clamp. And then, you know, when I I first started observing in the NBA, that's when the clamps, I saw a lot of them, and 
And they always say, hey, look with the player with the straight arm. That's the one who's getting fouled. If you don't, if you don't know who clamped who, look with the one with the straight arm. They're the ones probably getting fouled. You go, wow, I never thought of it that way. And, and, and so on. Now, does, does this apply for rebounding plays and also? Uh, rebounding plays and also when when guys try to fool you, saying, hey, I'm getting held, ref. <laughs> or dribblers doing it. I've seen dribblers now doing it. The offensive player pulls the defender's arm upward. Yeah. And, and that can be a tough one because it, it throws you – you know, I remember Louis Grillo always saying, he said, why do you miss plays? And I said, well, yeah, being out of position. He goes, no, usually being surprised. He said, not knowing the rule or usually being surprised. And I go, what do you mean by surprise? And then I said, oh, that's what he means, that play. I've never seen that play. Mm-hmm. Or or the first day I refereed, my mentor was Jay Dallas Shirley, Basketball Hall of Fame. He was our rules interpreter, board twelve. And I want to give a shout out to Board 12 because I'm the interpreter. The G League, the um, the NBA RDP program goes. Do they come from? They always kid me. Do they come from Board 12? I go no. I said the majority of them did though, but that's just a joke. But um, Mr. Shirley would always say um, he would always say repetition is a must. Repetition is a must. And looking at it now, repetition is a moth with mark sequencing, um, feet, pivot, defender, you know, um, ball plus body equals no call, you know, screen line, you know, um, defender. All this, it's repetition. Repetition is a must. And he'd always say that, Mr. Shirley, repetition is a must. And he'd always say, when the ball's dead, be alive. And if you look at all levels about, I'm not criticizing, I believe I'm not criticizing, but all of us as officials at all levels, we have to do a better job when we switch because, or we call travel, we call out of bounds. And Mr. Shirley always said, when the ball's dead, be alive. And not to take your eyes off of players, you know, freeze your field of vision, you know, but when you switch, like the other day, I was saying, I was telling somebody, said, you know, when everyone's switching, guess what? And they said, what? I said, all the players are on the honor system. And I said, 99% of the time, nothing's going to happen, but it's that 1% that will happen. And it could be a melee. It could be saying, someone saying something to someone or whatever, or a little subtle push, and then, wow, everything breaks loose. This next category is for the infamous and soon to be extinct floppers. Al gives us a couple tips on how to ref these plays. One really interesting thing he brought up was after the contact to process how they land. So the NCAA, as you know, has a new rule this year to address the flopping. It's now a player warning, a delay a game. What tips could you give us for officiating the flop this season? Again, you got to referee the defense. Usually, floppers, and Monty McCutcheon wrote a great article about this, I want to say maybe six years ago. He said usually floppers usually sit down, and they use histronics like, ah, and their, and their chin goes back, okay? Usually when someone takes charge, they end up on their back. 
for the block charge. But there are other floppers, too. You know, there are guys who fake like they get pushed on a rebound. They accelerate. There, are, There's the head bobbers. And, you know, you, you, it's, it's about being refereeing the defense, knowing what a flopper does, and detailed the um, being detailed oriented and so on. Uh, Mike Millione, he Michael Millione, great young referee, great division young referee, showed me a clip. He goes, "I call flop." He goes, "What do you have?" I said, "Mike, I have charge." He goes, "Why?" I said, Look where the guy ends up. He goes, "Where?" I said, "On his back." I said, "Usually floppers don't end up on their back." That's so interesting because we're always trying to officiate the contact, but yeah. We forget, well, now that you're telling us, there's more information to be had from that play by judging the fall and where he lands. Because floppers are deceiving us, so it makes sense that they're not fully committing to landing on their back. Yeah, because if you get hit, if you get pushed, you know, you, you'll you end up on your back. You usually, you know, and so on, but if you, if you get pushed and you want to take a fall, you're going to usually sit and down first if you think about it and that's good that's really you good. know and and but then again it's back to louis thing know your personality of your game what what do you and hank nichols what do you have out here today and i don't think we're really i i you know maybe i'm speaking out of hand but i don't think we really teach the art of officiating like we used to do you know, with the Hank Nichols and, and the Mickey Crowleys and, they, and, you know, Edgar and Dallas, they really taught the art of officiating. And, um, and there is, this is still an art as well as a science, but it's still an art. And you got to have a feel for this. And, it's, and there are times you got to take a hit for the game. Like, yeah, I understand you flop, but they're down by 25. Did we really, and there's a minute 20 to go. Do we really need to call a, a you know a class B technical failure and th- throw gasoline onto the fire? You know, or maybe we do need to do that to send a message. Again, do you know what you have out here? Right? Because basketball is not right or wrong. It's you know, it's what you have and and usually the as Mark says, a lot of these plays call themselves is what you can do with the gray ones at, at that um, crucial time. Another type of flop I don't really um, think about is, and I'm glad you brought it up, is rebounders pretending to be pushed, sort of the yeah. know, push in the back where they're jumping out of the way, you yeah. know, trying to show displacement. Yeah, um, you don't see it. You saw it, you saw it a lot. In the in the mid 2000s, you don't see it much anymore because you know our game has changed. Our game has become um, dribble drive penetration kick out type of a game. So that's probably why you don't see it because usually, oh, I you know there's usually maybe one rebound you know per possession or maybe two, but you know it's it's a little bit different, you know. Now, you hit on the 70-30 concept, but I see it here down at the bottom again. Do you want to touch on that anymore, or is there something else you want to yeah, add? Yeah, it's, it's just refereeing, just taking your eyes, you know, when someone's dribbling. Just Usually, most referees um, that I know, and myself included when I referee, I would referee probably 90% offense and 10% defense, and probably would just react it to a lot of calls. But if you switch it, 
if you switch it, go 70% defense, 30% offense, wow, you would be amazed how, how your play – it's harder, too. You've got to really concentrate. Um, you, you would, you would see how your play calling, um, you're going to be really accurate. I mean, you've got to do it. You just got to try it. And you're going to say, man, this is hard. You just got to do it. It's going to concentrate. Young official I was working with one day and he said, he said, he said, um, what are you trying or what are you, what are you trying to do? And I said, I'm trying to referee 7030. And I explained it to him. He goes, what? I go 7030. And I explained it. And then he started doing it. He goes, this is not easy. And I go, like, yeah, it's not easy. And, um, I saw him four weeks later. I said, man, oh man, what happened to your game? And he goes, was I that bad? I go, no. I said, I said, you're a player. He said, I've been doing your thing 70 30. And I said, well, I said, it's not mine. It's Eric's. I said, I learned it from Eric, you know, and, 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 and so on. You learned it from Eric. Eric learned it from somebody else. Somebody else. Yeah. That person. That's all we're doing here is sharing. Yeah. And that's what we all got to do. We got to all help one another. Got to all help. And let's stop getting our, you know, I always tell my eye before to go, come on, get your guard. You're not going to lose the game. Get your guard down. Be, be, be a student in the game. Want to learn something. You know, I was sitting with, um, um, very good friend of mine. Um, he's an outstanding football referee. Good friend of mine named Chris McCallis from the DC area. I said, Chris, did you ever think about taking your football white hat skills to the basketball court? He goes, what are you talking about? I said, your leadership skills. I said, you're a phenomenal leader in a football. Why can't you translate it into basketball? It's the same thing. And he went out and he did a game with that concept. And it was a tough game. It was Carroll versus DeMath. And if you know anything about D.C. Catholic League basketball, these are tough games. These are really tough games. And and he wasn't good. He was phenomenal. In fact, his whole crew was that day. And he goes, Al, he goes, you're right. They have a lot of similarities. And in this back, I hate to say my mission, hey, can I help someone every single day, you know, and, and so on. Uh, what do you mean by um, find the demeanor of the defense? Well, when you're coming, this is another Ed Rush principle. When I mean coming up the floor, you know, um, you know, and there's no pressure. I, I want to find out what the defense is doing. You know, are they laying back? Are they going to come and ready to come and, you know, um, you know, trap me? Or are they going to hedge me? But I want to see what they're doing. Are they going to play a two-three zone? Are they play in a mat. I want to see what they're doing. In fact, I have a drill for that. I put, I, I have uh, uh, someone dribbling the ball up the court, no pressure, official going up the court with them, and then I have five or six people just put up playing cards like jack of hearts, and so you got to get come up the court. And go, okay, jack of hearts, queen of diamonds, jack of clubs. And that teaches you how to find the demeanor of the defense. And you also better pick up your clock with that, your game clock and shot clock. 
In this portion of the podcast, Al talks about your eyes and where you should be looking from trail to lead. Find the last defender or the defender that can hurt you the most in lead on drives coming at you. Find the secondary defender as quick as possible and from trail to center. Have that big picture view, top of eyes, moving players. He also has a great comparison to refing while driving. This is your eye prescription pack. See what he's saying. I said, well, it's actually like when you drive, you drive with the top of your eyes, because if you didn't, especially on a free year, you'd crash into everybody. And he goes, okay, he said, why don't we change it when we teach, you know, other officials say driver's eyes. So when I'm coming up to court, I'm looking like, like I'm going to go off on an exit. Oh, there's my exit, you know, whatever. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's a good analogy. Um, yeah. Because we were in a meeting the other day, and, and, and we had a little uh, um, um, RDP clinic, and um, Nina Norman goes, well, driver's eye, you know, what are you talking, you know, what is that? I go, you do it when you drive. Oh, never thought about it. You're right. You actually do it when you drive. I go, yeah. And I, and so I, I always tell our young officials in, our, in Board 12, I said, do you practice your fish eating outside or outside of the court and they go what do you mean i said you should do it when you're driving and they said what i said yeah driver's eyes top of eyes this is your drill see if you can find see if you can look ahead and see for you know a couple exits ahead you you can actually practice demeanor of the defense walking down the street say hey i'm the trail and i'm looking ahead on the street there's someone with the gray gray uh, coat on, there's someone with a green coat on, and there's someone, someone pretending, hey, they're the defense. You know, um, my wife says, you're crazy. Are you nuts? I go, no, no, I'm practicing, you know, this is something, there's a drill, practicing, you know, demeanor of the defense. Because <laughs> if you think about it, if you know what the defense is going to do, that's half the battle. drop the new piece of content called 18 ways to help you run and serve the game it's designed for you to help continue to add layers to your game use what you like disregard what you don't i hope it brings you tremendous value as a referee you can find it on medium.com just search crown refs or hit me up on social i'll send you a link serve the game You know, Al is widely respected for his rules and casebook knowledge across all of the levels of refereeing, of the game of basketball, but he doesn't get enough credit for how talented he is as a communicator of game management and discipline. So here he really shines talking about referees being disrespected, um, not allowing unsportsmanlike conduct, and what you permit, you promote. Discipline, if you permit on sporting conduct, as Bennett Salvatore always says, if you permit it, you're promoting it. And that doesn't mean calling technical fouls, technical fouls. That means, hey, you're handling it. It could be in the National Federation game, behavior warning. It could be saying, hey, you need to stop. It, it could be calling a technical foul. And, and players don't have the right to say anything they want to you in a disrespectful way. They don't. They really don't. Uh, I'm not saying to have, you know, the old baseball term rabbit ears, but there's a way of saying something like, Paul, if 
if you were refereeing, I say, hey, how come that's a foul there? And there's a, um, and that was a no call. And you said, hey, they're different plays. And I said, well, hey, I disagree with that. Well, I mean, I'm not disrespectful. But if I go, hey, I really disagree with that, or like, you really know what you're doing? That's disrespectful. I'm sorry, that's disrespectful. Because we don't talk to players that way. And someone said, well, you should be above that. I'm not sure of that. I just think there's too much disrespect out there. Or you have the old coach's thing is, um, it calls me that your partner got that's going for them. They go, you need to make that call. You should have made that call. And I'm going, are you kidding me? You just got the call. And that's 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 actually demeaning. It's like actually saying, you don't know what you're doing out here. Coach, or it's a form of intimidation. Coach, 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 I would never tell you which player should be shooting the ball. Exactly. And... And I just think it's this disrespect that just keeps on mounting up, or it's the old saying, well, I wasn't taught, I was taught. No, 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 you're showing disrespect. It's your tone, it's your body language, and so on. I remember years ago, I was refereeing at West Liberty, and a coach charged me. And it wasn't West Liberty. It was um, another Notre Dame out of Ohio. Coach Chargers me. And I, I called the technical foul on him. And um, he said, I want out of the coaching box. I go, you're absolutely right. At halftime, he goes, I, I wasn't out of the coaching box. I said, you're absolutely right, Coach. He said, um, I didn't curse at you. I get, hey, you're two for two. He said, well, why did you get a technical foul? I said, let me ask you something. Would you charge anybody on the street? He goes, you're absolutely right. He goes, I would never do that. And I said, okay, that's why you got a technical foul. A couple years later, he upset West Liberty that night. And he goes, you know, by you doing that to me, it made me a better coach because it forced me to coach. It forced him to be empathetic to yep. being a good person in the situation we're in. Again, we're playing basketball, but just like you said, I would never do that to you on the street. What is different? Yeah. Right. I would never do that to you on the street. You know, I would never do that, you know, and 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 so on. Or I would never stop the game and go, wait a second, you, should, you shouldn't be playing him. You should be playing him or playing, you know, whatever. I would never do that. But just or just the way you address somebody, you know, is you know you, you know it's it's not all right to yell at someone. Oh, you're sense? No, I'm not saying it's not all right to yell. You can talk to me. You can disagree with me. But you're not going to yell. You yeah. shouldn't be able to yell. Yeah. When coaches say you're being sensitive, that's a personal statement. They're making it personal. Yeah. Right. They're the offender. Yet they're pointing the finger saying, you know, we're soft, you're taking it personal, you're sensitive. They're an issue. Yeah. Right. And, and again, that's just a ploy. It's just a ploy. But I think officials have to stand up for themselves. They have to enforce bench decorum. And again, it might not be a technical foul, but as Monty McCutcheon always says, you cannot have the intangible of avoidance. You can't avoid it. You got to you got to stand up to it, and you got to 
you know, you got to handle it. And again, I'm not knocking any referees. This is for all of us to get better. This is what it's all about. It's about me to get a, become a better scout and to help people. And, hey, you, you did something wrong on the court. No problem. We're going to work on it. And let's work on this. And, and I'd rather see an official say, come and say to me, you know, I can't handle the bench. Okay, well, we're going we're gonna, to – let's work on it, you know, but don't avoid and and so on or or you know i instigated that technical foul okay you're human it happens you know or or you know i should have handled that all right you learned something today because every time you referee a game if you don't i remember years ago an old an old official Lawrence truman Oh, you refereed a lot of games in the MEAC with him. He always say, if you don't learn something from every game, you will not grow. And when you don't grow from every game, now it's time to get out. And I thought about it. Man, he's right. He's really right. And um, I said, I never thought about that. But you And I always think about today, you know, um, hey, did you grow something? Did you, did you grow from this today? Did you learn something? Yeah, I did. Okay. Well, that's good. So, so that's a positive. And, and heat of the moment is like, hey, Paul, come on, that's a foul. Or Paul, you know, come on, watch the pivot. But that's heat of moment. Let's let's go on. But if I say, Paul, this game's too big for you, or Paul, you're not giving that because it's personal, or badgering on every car, or disagreeing with everything, or yelling and screaming, or your tone, that's disrespect. I'm sorry, that's disrespect. You know, and if something's not done, I hate to say it, more young individuals um, are – they're not going to say, I don't need this. In fact, what, I, what I'm doing right now with, with our IBO board, I, I don't teach an IBO class. I have an, I, I have an academy, and I do a lot of drills, and I give everyone a test each week. And, yeah, they pass the test, and I do it by attendance. And maybe IBO <laughs> – doesn't want to hear that, but that's the way I do it. But I'm constantly teaching, constantly teaching. And, you know, we just got, you know, doing drills and this and that and whatever. But I have a lot of young referees, and I encourage them and encourage them and encourage them and because I want them to become students of the game. But we don't get more younger individuals out there. Um, I don't know about your board. But our board, we have, I think we have 370 members, and we a lot of times we have trouble covering games because we have so many. Negativity towards referee. I'm not saying referees are always right. We do make mistakes. We're human. Um, but we make a lot at all levels. We make a lot more. We do a lot uh, more. We do a lot of things correctly more than we do wrong in fact i i said um you know um i was saying you know for for grades for referees at all levels and i when i observed in the nba you you usually got three grades and at the crew was does not meet meet and exceed well if you think at all levels any levels there's really not that many exceeds at any level because if you think about it you gotta have they the teams really have to play well. They have to have great shooting percentages. The ball goes into the old adage, the ball's going in the basket. Right? 
And there's probably not a lot of does not meets. Okay. But most of your games across the country from CYO to the NBA are meets, in my opinion. And guess what? You've passed and you're doing well. Because exceeds, hard to get. You know, it's like the old, um, Thayer was, I think the West Point system was the Thayer system was like 96 to, to 100 was an A or something. I, I didn't go to West Point. I was reading a book about West Point. And, but if you think about it, there's really not that many exceeds. There's really not that many does not meets, but most games are meets. And did the officials misplay? Yeah, they did. But I bet you they get more correct than they did wrong. It's just the ones that they do get wrong, everyone makes a big – tends to make a big deal about it. You know, Scott Bolnick said something very interesting. Um, um, he said, you know, after you do a game, if you come out there feeling good, when you go back on tape, you probably didn't do that good. And if you're really feeling bad, you probably didn't do that bad. I go, man, that's – you're absolutely right. You're absolutely – you know, I never thought of it that way. And just a great point. I, I, I'm sorry for no. going all over the place, potpourri stuff, but I, I enjoy officials. I enjoy talking about refereeing, and I really enjoy trying to help referees at, at any level, at any level. That's what you're doing, Al. People, listen, the first podcast we did, I mean, we got so much great feedback from that. Actually, actually I just want to take the time to thank you on the podcast while we're recording, you know, when we recorded podcast number 39, I believe, you know, you were the first NBA guest I had on and definitely you were the catalyst in helping me line up some other great guests. That yeah. Were well, my pleasure, Paul. You're a great, you're a great ambassador of the game. You're an excellent referee. You know, you're a student of the game. Plus, you know, I commend you because you're, you're trying to help. You are helping referees. And I just think it's great. And, you know, when I want to tell referees, you know, you know, learn, you know, anything you learn, start doing that sequencing, you know, read your rule book every day, read five casebook plays every day, clip plays, keep a journal, you know, help one another out and, and give a hundred percent every single day, day in and day out, especially when you're tired, you know, you're tired. You guys say, okay, you know, it's not fear of these players. I got to give a hundred percent gotta give a hundred percent thank you so much for listening to the podcast appreciate your support if we all just pick up one new thing each episode then we are all getting better as a whole remember we're growing together i hope you have the greatest season of your career stacy thomas is up next have a great night